Hiking to church uh, reminded me of uh, one of my jobs growing up. It was a camp that had just started, and uh, the role for me was there were 30 new mountain bikes, and I was to run uh, the mountain biking class at camp. And also, I was to make sure that the bikes uh, were maintained, um, kept in good shape, and that they were, they were okay. Now, it was a sports camp, and mountain biking really wasn't one of the primary sports. It was basketball players, football players, soccer players, and these guys, for their kind of... Uh, aerobic and exercising in between um, times of playing, they would use the mountain bikes to go mountain biking. And when you have football players use mountain bikes, it doesn't always go the best. Uh, I don't know if you know this about biking, I'll teach you a little bit about biking, that when you're biking and you have gears that shift, um, you want to make sure you shift the gears when you're pedaling. You don't shift the gears when you're not pedaling and then pedal. Because what happens is the crankshaft um, goes against the chain and it just bites it. So these big football players are shifting when they're not pedaling and then they're just ripping down on uh, the pedal. And you should see the the, like the gouges in the crankshaft were just huge because of what they were doing. And so I realized I was having to fix all these bikes, change out the gears, change chains, all because of what was happening. So finally I decided, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to assign a bike to a player. And how they treat the bike is now going to matter. And it was amazing the difference of how they treated the bikes knowing uh, if they treated it poorly, if it was going to work or it wasn't going to work. Now, you might think what's going on in this passage and how this is related, but I know we're going to biking. We're going to talk about farming. That's the analogy that's going to be used today. And the analogy that is going to be used is one of sowing. That just like in these guys, these ways, guys treated the bikes in certain ways. If we sow certain things, there's a result. If we treat things in our lives a certain way, there's a result. Just in the same way these guys treat the bikes in a certain way, and it resulted in the bike having problems and issues. If we treat our life and what we put into our life a certain way, it will reap certain rewards. The question for us this morning is this. What are you seeding? What are you sowing? What are you placing down in your life? And we're going to see this passage this morning talking about that exact thing. So let's turn to the scripture. It's Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. It's printed in your worship guide too, so you have it there. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially to those who are in the household of faith. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, I just pray that this word would produce um, fruit in us. It would produce a harvest in us. That it wouldn't just go in one ear and out the other. There can be many distractions and many things that keep us from hearing your word today. God, give us the ability to pay attention to it today. 
Let us be able to soak it into our lives and let it play out in how we live and treat others. We just pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Well, welcome to Emmaus Road, those that have come. And if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Galatians. And we've been going it through all this winter, and now we have just two more weeks in Galatians, this week and next week, until we get into the book of Job. And to catch you up, if you've not heard any of these sermons, is very simple. Is The book of Galatians is really, what is the message of Christianity? What is Christianity? What is the good news? And what Paul has done is that he has spent the bulk of this whole book, the first four chapters before we got to here in chapter 6, laying out what is the good news. And talking about the good news is about Christ. It's interesting that Paul uses the idea of behavior and ethics and how we're supposed to live. He saves that to the end of the book. And that might be very surprising to some of you when you think about religion and Christianity. For some of us, Christianity and religion is about behavior modification. It's about doing this or doing that. The thing is, Paul doesn't spend the beginning of the book about any of those things. Instead, he spends the majority of the book talking about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then at the end, he gets to what that behavior would look like. thing is, Paul is reacting against people that are teaching a different message, a false message. And he's reacting against what many people think of religion today. Religion is about doing X, doing Y, living this way, living that way. And Paul isn't saying, saying, no, it is not Christ plus doing these ceremonial things. It is not Christ plus having to abide by the law. No, Christianity is Christ plus nothing. The good news of the gospel is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he goes the whole first four chapters talking about what that is. But then this is where we get to the ideas of behavior and ethics and how we're supposed to live. If you have a relationship with Christ, if the Spirit has been put in you, then you will live this way. The evidences, the outward display of God working in your heart is shown in these things. I think what is revolutionary about Christianity is this. That it just doesn't start with Christ, but the Christian message continues with Him. And that it is by the power of Christ and His Spirit that we will be changed and transformed. For some of you, that might be very different from the message of Christianity that you've heard. It's about behavior. It's about abiding by these laws. No, it's about abiding in Him. And then, from the power that we receive by the Spirit, we are then able to live the certain way. So, how do we know? How do we know if the Spirit is in us? How do we know if it's working? How do we know if we have this relationship with God? This is what he's going to try to explain right now in this passage. And the illustration that he's going to use to display this the most is the idea of sowing and reaping. A farming image. An agrarian image. An idea of a farmer going out and seeding his fields and then coming back over time and seeing what is produced. So let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 clearly lays out kind of the centerpiece of this passage. 
For the one who sows scatters his seed to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap what he will get from the crops, corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So again, what he's saying is if you seed to the flesh, meaning the old nature, the nature apart from God, being in relationship with Him, basing life on your own desires and what you want, if you sow that kind of seeds in your life, what you will reap is corruption. But if you sow the Spirit, if you have union with Christ and the Spirit is in you, and you live in that power, then what you will receive is eternal life. The images are interesting. Corruption is the exact opposite of resurrection life. It's the idea of anti-resurrection or a life that decays and goes into nothing. And then eternal life, which we probably can know of, is a life that is eternal, that does not end. A life and body that is okay. Well, I think it's a good illustration, especially today as we're outside, and especially spring in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, we see the neighbors who have done the hard work, don't we? (laughs) If we go around and see people's gardens and outside, we see the people that have spent time manicuring, have planted tulip bulbs earlier in the year, that have done all the work. We see the people that have sowed something good. And some people's yards are immaculate. And then we look at our yards. And we go, wow, I did not, maybe, maybe you guys don't have those yard issues, but maybe I do. Wow, that weed is huge. <laughs> Look at what I am sowing. So, but the thing is, Paul is not just talking about this agrarian or farmer analogy. He's playing it into our lives. It's not just true in gardening that what we sow is what we reap. It's also true in our lives. What we lay down what we spend time on, what we put in us, it has effects upon our lives. Um, one thing uh, I really find interesting, especially in this passage, is it talks about the future. It talks about if I sow these things over time, in eternity, and when God comes back again, His final judgment, what is shown will come up. And he will reap what we have done in our lives. It's talking about a future end times. It's talking about what will happen at the end and what God will gather. Uh, I, I don't know what you guys think of end times. And maybe when you think of heaven and eternity, you maybe think of angels. Uh, maybe you think of pearly gates. Maybe you think of being up in the clouds. I don't think this is just the message that it's giving here. Instead, I think it's giving a message of a of bodies. I, I firmly believe that the Bible teaches that when we are in eternity, we are going to have a body. A perfect body. A body that does not decay. A body that does not end. And the thing is, I think the message here is saying, if you sow certain things in your life, if you have a relationship with God, your body will be the way it's supposed to be. In fact, when we are in relationship with God, we are in union with Him, our bodies are the way that they were from the beginning. You know, Adam and Eve, the reason that there was corruption in their life, the reason that death happened, is because they had disobeyed God and then had been separated from Him. When we are in union with God, when we are back with Him, our bodies do not decay. They do not corrupt. Now on earth, we still have division from God. But in heaven, we will be with Him in eternity. We will have a body that does not decay, 
does not end. And that is what eternal life looks like. And we can see even benefits of that now. You know, we can see the way that even eternal life plays out in our life now. In benefits of loving others and benefits of what we put in our bodies, there are benefits of loving God and being in relationship with Him and how our body is now. Or we also might say, wow, God is vengeful. He says those that sow these bad things, He's going to come and he's, they're going to reap corruption. Well, I don't think it's showing God's vengeance here. I think it's just showing what plays out by sin in our life. Uh, why are we surprised if we plant a carrot and go, why didn't a pear tree grow? Because you didn't plant a pear tree. If I decide I'm going to eat ding-dongs for every meal for the next month, um, I don't think I, I should be surprised I'm not moving the fastest. You know, I don't feel the best. If I say I'm going to buy everything on QVC, you know, on that, that TV channel, the QVC, if I'm going to buy everything there, why should I be surprised that I don't have money at the end of the month? If I decide when I go out on a date with someone or I uh, am in a relationship with my wife or whatever it might be and I'm on my phone all the time or I'm not paying attention or asking questions, why am I surprised that that relationship is not the best? Why are we surprised by what we put into ourselves, what we think, what we do with our lives, that there are consequences for it? And that is what God is saying. If you put these things in your life, there is a consequence. There is a reaction for it. Why are we surprised? And how much further should we not be surprised if we do not have a life apart from God that when eternity comes, when judgment comes, and we say, wait a second, God. He says, what relationship did you have with me? Why should we be surprised about what will happen at the end? So don't say, God, you're vengeful. Look how mean you are. No. He's saying there are consequences for our, act- our actions. And then he gives a warning. He says in verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. The idea of mocked here is turning up our nose to God. It's really saying... You know, I can get away with it. I can do whatever I want. I can act whatever way I want to. And God is not going to find out. Here Paul is saying, don't be deceived. Don't mock God. He knows. He knows what's going on in your life. He will find out if that guy, that 250 pound football player is continuing to shift gears on that mountain bike without turning it, it's going to be found out. (laughs) The bike is going to break. If I put water in my car instead of gasoline, it's going to be found out. The thing is, what's interesting about the book of Galatians, it says, you know, Christian identity is not found by ceremonies like circumcision or abiding by these definitive ceremonial laws. No, Christianity is identified by a heart change. And the problem with that, and I think what Paul is trying to address, is that many times you can get away not showing those outward things about what really is going on in the heart. You can get away, well, 
it's not about circumcision, not abiding by these laws. Um, I, I can, I don't have to look outward this way. It's really what's in the heart. You can deceive many people about how you really are. Especially in the United States where we can live our own lives, we can look good, but we can just get away. We can do our own thing within our house. And we can say, I I can get away with it. Um, There's no consequences for the way I'm living. No one really sees it. I can even coddle this flesh instead of crucifying the flesh, that old nature. I I can look at these things on the computer. I can harbor resentment. I can wallow in self-pity. But the thing is, those things will be found out. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I think we can look really good in America on the outside. But on the inside, we can be rotten. And we think, as long as I have a good 401k, as <laughs> long as my kids are good, as long as I send them off to college and I have a degree and a good title, I'm okay. I've lived this life well. I pay a mortgage. I pay my taxes. I'm okay. I'm doing fine. I look good to everyone else. God says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He knows what's really going on. I'll say, you think, I can just look at these images and they don't have consequences. It will, I think, on your marriage. And I've seen it happen. I harbor resentment over someone. Well, I think over time, it will do damage to your relationships. I wallow in self-pity in my mind. I think over time, it will start to gnaw at you and destroy you. See, I like John Stott's quote, Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. I'm going to say it one more time. Please pay attention. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. What are you sowing? Are you sowing resentment? Do you sow self-pity? Do you sow images on your phone? What are you sowing in your life? I encourage you... That doesn't mean, oh man, I'm in serious trouble, I'm doing this. No, I would hope that if you're doing those things, it drives you to God and saying, God, I need you in these moments. I need you in my self-pity. I need you in my resentment. I need you when I am drawn to these images. God, I need you in these moments. And that is where sowing begins. So what does it look like concretely to sow in the Spirit? He gives us two examples. Verse 6 and verse 10. Verse 6 says this, Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. I love this passage as a pastor. This is great. I mean, please give me good gifts, right? I'll take it all. Right? No, Uh, Yes, I believe it does lay out here that pastors should be paid from this passage. 
It says that they should be given a just reward for their labors and for their work. But I think it makes sense that if you are hearing the gospel message and the good news, the message that Christ died for you, He gave all Himself to you, He served you and did these things to you, if God did that for you, then your response should be giving and loving others. And one concrete example is loving your pastor, which you guys at Emmaus Road do a great job at. And I appreciate that as a pastor. But it makes sense that if you are hearing the word, that should overflow from you. And then verse 9, sorry, verse 10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now here it's saying that we should do good to other people. That really the basis of showing that you've laid good seed, that you are planting good seed, is that you are not looking to yourself, but you are looking to others. That you are serving others. That you are laying down your life for other people. And it makes sense that he says, first to the household of faith, he says to everyone, but it makes sense that he says the household of faith because these are the people that are around you. These are the people that are your family. These are the people that you are around. How should you love them and care for them? Because they are right near you. And that's what we should be doing. I am really impressed by Emmaus Road. Maybe your first time here. This is a church that loves each other. This is a church that serves other people. And I'm impressed by the way you guys do that in this church. I encourage you, if you ever have that feeling, well, I don't feel like I'm loved by others. I feel like I'm alone. Join a church. Please. Join a family. Sometimes the excuse is, you know, that you're alone is that you just don't come. You don't see, this is a family of God that will care for me and love me. An encouragement I want for our congregation is this. If you're wondering, how do I love other people in the church? The first thing you can do is just listen. Listen to other people in the church and maybe hear what their needs are. And maybe one question you can ask someone in their church is, how can I serve you this month? And if someone gives you a response, do it. (laughs) You know? And and many of you go, when someone asks me, how can I serve you? I just, oh yeah, just pray for me. You can ask for more. Prayer is great, but you can ask for more than that. I need someone to watch my kids. I need help in this area. You can ask. And I hope we would ask people and you would respond to people when they ask. Sacrifice time for others. Do these things. I think if you do that, we're going to see some great things. We're going to see people's lives in our church change. We're going to see change in um, society. We're going to see change in other people's lives as we invest in others, them changing others. I mean, it kind of flows out. That's the way discipleship works works. Let me land the plane here. In verse 9 it says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It is hard work to serve and love others. And it can be discouraging. And you better believe it's hard work. Um, You know, if you decide that I'm going to love and serve others, um, you might find yourself hanging around people that you don't normally hang out with. You say, I I didn't really, I wouldn't really want to pick these people as my friends, 
but they're my brothers and sisters in Christ, so I hang with them. You'll find that you will open your heart to people that sometimes are hurting and unstable, and that can be hard. You'll find that you might have less money because you give generously to others. It's true, the work of sowing this seed of the Spirit is hard work, and it can be discouraging. But again, you will see change, and there will be a harvest at the end. Something greater than you could ever expect or imagine. Luke Short lived in the 18th century. He was 103 years old. And at 103, he remembered a sermon from his pastor, John Flavel. And he committed himself to the Lord at age 103. And then on his tombstone, he died at 106. It said, Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years old, died according to nature at 106. The sermon that he remembered was a sermon that was preached 85 years earlier by John Flavel, who had died long, long ago. I am telling you, if you sow seeds in love for others, you might not see results right away. But there will be a harvest at the end. And it will be glorious. And we will rejoice in heaven. And we will see a field just out there. The greatest field you could see with tulips everywhere. Look at the harvest that has been produced by our Lord. I hope you do not get away from this passage. You know, that's religion. What you sow is what you get. Do good works and you'll receive back tenfold. It's karma, right? That's what Christianity is, right? That's what religion is. Karma. That is not what this passage says. It says those who sow in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It is the Spirit that is working in us flawed people to make great things happen. It is God's grace by giving us His Holy Spirit. Even when we're flawed, even when we fall short, He is doing the work in us. (laughs) Bono, the lead singer of U2, they were asking him questions about religion. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, journalist was from Rolling Stones. And he was talking about karma and religion. And Bono, who's a Christian, responded in this way. Please hear this. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma, Bono said. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics and physical law, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It is clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet along comes this idea called grace. To upend all that as you reap, as you will sow stuff. You see, grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequence of your actions. Which in my case is very good news indeed. Because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep expletive. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins on the cross because I know who I am. 
And I hope I do not have to depend on my own religiosity. Oh man, Dan, I'm in trouble. (laughs) I've seen what I've sowed in my life. I've seen the consequences of what I have sowed. I have reaped the harvest, whether it comes to debt, whether it comes to other things in my life. I am reaping things in my life that I have done. I would hope that when we come face to face with those consequences, it would not drive us to our flesh. I've got to work harder. But it would drive us to grace and to Christ. You see, Paul wasn't the only one that used seed illustrations, was he? (laughs) I mean, he's probably borrowing from Jesus. And Jesus talked about planting seeds. You know, one thing about seeds that I loved is faith like a mustard seed, right? And you plant that seed and what grows is a beautiful tree. Christian, non-Christian, anyone here who says, I have reaped some horrible things. Know this, that you can have the seed of the Holy Spirit planted in you with faith just like a mustard seed. Just a prayer that says, God, I need you in this area of my life. If that plants in your life, a great tree will grow. And from that, a great harvest will come. I encourage you, what are you sowing? And what seed is being planted in you? Trust in Him. Come to Him. Let the Spirit work in you. And you will see yourself spreading a seed and creating a harvest that one day the King will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we pass by flowers, when we pass by orchards, when we see the beauty of your creation this summer, let us let it think in our minds, what are we sowing? What are we putting down? And God, let it drive us towards you, that we would live in the power of the Spirit. We just pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.